bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Corinne Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Ninja. So far, I'm not in isolation, but I don't know if I should be yet. Maybe I should be. I'm not sure in the family. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I wasn't alarmed, but I'm not also aloof. I'm trying to just navigate the world as best I can and protect our family as best I can and protect other people from us as best I can. We don't have coronavirus as far as we know, but it's a really difficult time. I've just come from Seven Sisters yesterday and I'm feeling just trying to reconnect with my life again after being in such a nurturing women's only space since for three and a half days. Now, this week's guest is Jim Baller, and he's had a really, it's very graphic. It's quite a quite graphic episode if you don't like. It's not quite a graphic episode, but there's a bits that are a bit about his surgeries that are a bit, you know, if you've got a weak stomach or are a bit sensitive, uh, you might just have to listen to something very light afterwards. I didn't do much talking in this episode, so it was more of Jim telling his story. I just listened. I really wanted to just hear it. So, yeah, you might notice that it's not really a discussion as much as Jim really just going into his journey. He's had such an interesting and heartbreaking journey, which has ended really well. So you, you know that there's a happy ending at the end to look forward to. One of the things I found interesting about Jim's story was when we talk about his childhood with foods, like he ate very, like, quite clean. When people talk about whole food diet, often I hear nutritionists who also promote bone broths and um, organic meats and things talk about whole food and they're including animal animal flesh and byproducts in, in their whole food and even, you know, animal breast milk in their diet of what whole foods are, you know, eggs and including eggs and milk and and meat as a healthful way to, to way to eat. And anyway, Jim did follow that. Like he wasn't eating many processed foods at all. So it was interesting how he's like, obviously, you know, trauma and things happen as well that impact our health. But yeah, Jim's, Jim's story, even though he ate, you know, a, a whole food diet, not a plant-based diet, but a fairly whole food diet, vegetables and, and steak, his health radically and drastically deteriorated. And this is his story. So I really, I really found his story. So when you really put yourself in someone's position and feel, try and feel what it would be like to be where he was and then feel like how it must be to be where he is today. It's incredible. So I, I, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. 
And I hope that you all find value in it. And especially, you know, when we can just can just reflecting upon the fact that he didn't wasn't like he was getting donuts and eating McDonald's and chips and junk food all the time to get to this position. He was eating very, 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 very clean, just including some some meat and things. But again, like our gut microbiome, when we look back at the doctors who've talked a lot about gut microbiome and health, that steak doesn't digest well. It does encourage and strengthen pathogenic bacteria in our guts and that pathogenic bacteria then can, you know, damage our intestinal lining, wreak havoc in our in our bodies and cause inflammation and chronic disease even though we think that's just a minor thing compared to what other people are eating, it can still be causing havoc in our bodies, especially if we have jobs that are stressful and there's stress and there's lack of sleep and there's maybe emotional stresses in our lives. All those things encourage that pathogenic bacteria to to grow and to strengthen and cause chronic illness. There's so many different factors and I'm not, I'm, I'm obviously overlooking a lot of things, but I found that very, very interesting. I wrote pages and pages. I'm just looking through now. But we spoke in here also about, I just wanted to mention about PBNSG and Paul Chatland's work with plant-based network support, plant-based network support groups if you're in the Michigan area, you can join them. So if you're listening to this podcast and I, and you don't know about PBNSG, so plant-based nutrition support groups, there's a, there's a lot around Michigan and growing in the United States and they're wonderful. Or plant, we have plant pods, plant-powered Melbourne, plant-powered Ballarat, plant-powered Gold Coast, I think. Growing in Australia, there's, that's a different connect. That's not, that's not Paul Chatland's PBNSG. Yeah, the plant-powered groups are separate, but they're all excellent tools to help build community and strengthen your community and support network. If you're in a, a area, a region, or a family, or a community where you don't have much support, groups like PBNSG can really help link you and connect you with wonderful people, doctors, information, research, and support, and also, yeah, the plant-powered groups as well. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I will... See you at the end of the show just to say hello. All right, awesome. So, yeah, let's just start at the start. I will have given you a teeny introduction, but where, where does your journey begin, Jim? Let's start at a young age. I remember back as a child, you know, back in the 60s, my mom, they were, it was all about milk and dairy, and that was a healthy thing. And, you know, while I grew up on milk, my mom didn't believe in a lot of processed foods, like she wouldn't trust canned foods because canned food just came out. So most of the vegetables, my dad had a huge garden, almost an acre, and we had steak, potatoes, and vegetables every day. But there was a there was a, a one pound steak on my plate every day until I was 18 years old, and we drank milk. And I know when I graduated high school, I weighed 300 pounds. So. Um, it was just the milk and it was a dairy. There was nobody else that was really big in our house, but we never had potato chips. We never had ice cream, any of that, never any snack cakes. My mom didn't really bake. So it was just from eating really big dinners, like with the steak and potatoes and breakfast was eggs and bacon and just real fatty foods like that. And I remember going to school and my mom making huge one-inch thick ham sandwiches with steak or, or with cheese all over them. 
And that's how I always ate. It was never from snack foods or junk food and stuff like that. They were feeding me what they thought was good for me. And yeah, they complained that I was overweight. I always tried to lose weight, but you can't when you eat that type of food. And you get frustrated and you try and limit yourself, but you're hungry all the time. And it lasts for two weeks and then you quit. So I was starting to get sick right after high school in my 20s. I think I got diagnosed with heart disease and not heart disease, diabetes in my 20s. And they put me on, I don't remember if it was metformin or what it was, but they put me on a diabetic pill. And they really, they really didn't tell me anything about it. They just said, here, take these pills and you'll be all right. And I remember every time I went into the doctor, he's like, Jim, I told you you have to lose weight and you gain more weight. And, you know, now I've got to increase your medication. So it give me more. And then, you know, of course, you gain more weight uh, because that insulin just keeps making you hungry. And I, I went through all that and then high blood pressure. So in my 20s, I was suffering diseases that people in their 50s had. And, and I was in bad shape. And I just back then it was, you know, you've got bad genetics. So. Everything was blamed on that. It wasn't anything that you did. It wasn't anything that you ate. It was just you have bad genes and you're the unlucky one. And they told me that, you know, you're going to have to take diabetic medicine for the rest of your life because it's just the way that your body was. And, and that's it. So I figured I got dealt a bad deck of cards and, and that's the way it was. And I had to take this medication for life because I've got a disease. So, you know, you go on life and. And, you know, the diet that they told me to eat, this was 20 years later after I was on blood meds for 20 years. They were telling me, you know, no carbohydrates, no sugar. You want to eat the fat, you want to eat the fish and, and healthy fats and chicken and all that. No matter what I did, you know, you would check your diabetes one day and it was 200. And then the next day you do the exact same thing and it went up to 340. Or, you know, you wake up at night and then you're sweating because you took too much insulin and you could never, I can never control it. Even if I ate the same thing every day and took the same amount of medicine, one day it was this, the other day it was that. And I had a heck of a time ever trying to control or do anything with it. So after a while, you just kind of give up and you do what you think you could do. And that's it. And, you know, I was heavy. I couldn't lose any weight. And I was, geez, like that until my 30s. And, you know, I think I wanted, I was about 35 or something. I went into the doctor and they, they put me on a diet pill. And, you know, when you take the diet pill, you feel good. And it was more like speed or whatever. You weren't hungry. And you, you felt like exercising or running around the block. And then I remember you couldn't sleep because it was just like, I don't know if it was speed or what they were giving you back then. But as soon as you stop the diet pill, then you're hungry again. And all the weight that you might have taken off, now you're back on again. So I had all the struggles my whole life with, with um, up and down yo-yo dieting. And no matter what I did, um, you know, it never worked. So after a while, you give up. But, you know, walking around overweight. Even in your 40s and your 50s, I mean, you're always embarrassed. You don't fit into the plane seat. You know, you can't really fit into a booth. So you got to fit it at, 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 
you got to sit at a table at a restaurant and you go through all this and all the subconscious things. And my friends would go, you know, horseback riding or canoeing and stuff like that. And I just opted out. I got invited, but I never went. I, I held myself back from everything that I could have did because I was subconscious about being overweight. Yeah. These are the, these are the hard things people don't talk about enough, I don't think, is the things that you miss out on because you're overweight or you're embarrassed about your weight or you don't want to be seen moving in a certain way or, you know, things like not getting into a booth at a restaurant, you know, like there are things that people, certain chairs, you know, I have people come to me and they're like, oh, I don't want to hop in your chair because I might break it and, and that it breaks my heart thinking about their anxiety at being offered a chair that they think they might break or their anxiety about having to say, I might break your chair. It doesn't look strong enough for me. Like they're the kind of things that we, you know, we think about the heart disease. We think about the diabetes. We think about the stroke when we think about obesity, but we don't talk about these things that are real issues, everyday issues of being overweight. And you always blame yourself for being overweight. And people look at you like, like, look at him. He's just out of control and he doesn't know how to eat. And he's just a big pig. And you think that people look at you like that all the time. And they don't know that you're constantly dying. You're dieting. You're trying to do something about your weight. You're self-conscious about it and you're dying inside and it's just sometimes you don't feel that you're even doing a good job at it. And um, but, uh, yeah, it was hard. And, and now, you know, I was in my 40s. I was really starting to get sick, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol and all these numbers. And my diabetes was out of control. And then I was really worried about my health and, you know, the doctor complaining, you got to get your diabetes out of control. And then they put me on insulin and insulin, my sugars bounced around the same way. And I, I just could never keep them at a good level. We tried exercise and all that. And, you know, I'm a painting contractor and it was hard for me to work because I was overweight and just things weren't good. Things weren't good. And then back in 2009, I was at work and I had to hire, because I was like 300 pounds, I had to hire a bunch of people to help me because I just, I wasn't doing too well at work. It was hard to get around, hard to work all day. And I had slipped one day and just kind of fell down. And I just sat down, I fell backwards onto a stairway. And on the stairway, there was a wire brush on the stairway. And I landed on the wire brush, and one of the wires poked me in the rear end, just into my butt. I didn't think not, nothing of it, and I had to actually pull it out of my skin, the little wire. And I got home, and I just found just a little dot of blood. And it's like, okay, that was on my underwear when I went to take a shower. I didn't think anything of it, you know? And that night... um. We got a call from the hospital. I had a cousin that was dying. They didn't think he was going to make it anymore. So the family, everybody got together and we all went for our last visit at the hospital. At the hospital, 
he was in an intensive care unit, and I guess there was just massive amounts of infection. Everybody was covered in in um, lesions on their body that was inside the intensive care unit. And they said, if anybody's had an open wound, don't go in there. And they gave us, you know, our booties, and they gave me a whole suit that I have to dress up in, and they, they put a mask on you, and you had gloves on your hands just to be able to walk in there and go see him. And uh, we went and said our last regards, and I got we got home, and the next morning I woke up, and, you know, I sat on the toilet seat, and I felt like a pimple or something on my butt, so a little sore spot, and I didn't think anything in that it was a spot that I poked myself with a wire brush. I forgot about that the, the day earlier. And uh, I went to work, and the next day I get up, and now that thing that I thought was a pimple is a little bit bigger. It's almost like half the size of a softball, or I mean a golf ball. You know, it's like a big bump. And I kind of ignored it. It was Friday, and I went to work. And now on Saturday morning, I wake up, and now the thing is like the size of a half a tennis ball sticking out. And I call my doctor in the hospital, and I have a $10,000 deductible to go into the hospital unless I got a referral from my doctor. So the doctor was closed, and like an idiot, I wait until Monday to go see him. Well, Sunday when I woke up, this thing was huge. It was like the size of a softball. I had a real big X at abscess and I didn't go in and I got the infection from going to the hospital and I just had that little puncture wound from that wire brush and the infection I guess it was a MRSA and a staph infection got in there and then I was a diabetic so it turned into gangrene so I go see my doctor on Monday and he's like oh my god Jim go to the hospital immediately why did you get it let it get so big so I was almost paralyzed in fear after he told me that I had a neighbor drive me there and a neighbor took me into the hospital and I remember them just, they grabbed the gurney and they rushed me in. They didn't, they didn't even worry about triage or anything. They just rushed me back into the operating room. They told me to sign a paper because I might be losing my leg and maybe my testicles and, and all that. And I had just such bad infections. They didn't know what they were going to do. So you know, they take me into the hospital, and now I've got this abscess, and I guess they did a surgery right away uh, to remove part of the infection. And they did that surgery, and then the next day, they will go back in to make sure that they got all the abscess and all of the infection out of your leg. And so then they prep you the next morning, and they take you in for an operation. And then they want to leave the wound open because they got to go back in there the next day to see if they got all the infection that day. And I guess these infections are like Pac-Man and they just keep spreading their tentacles everywhere. And if you don't get everything completely the first day when they were operating, trying to cut it out, it'll continue to grow. I went through um, 23 operations in 23 days to get rid of this uh, infection. And by the time that they were done, I was completely missing my right butt cheek in the back. And then it spread down my leg from my knee to up to my thigh. And I remember I could look down, sorry. Okay. I could look down and I see my bone, all my leg, everything was like 
gone. There was just so much meat that they had to cut away. It has spread into my stomach. It got into my intestines. They had to remove some of that. And then it was the 23rd day they went in. And when the doctor was finalizing his operation, he was still debriefing and removing skin. They, they nicked the inside of my rectum about an inch up inside me and they weren't aware that I was bleeding into my stomach. And then when they got done with the operation, they kind of put, they put some gauze in your rectum just in case the blood from the outside doesn't get inside. Well, since they nicked me from the inside and I was packed with gauze that kept the blood from going out. So I was bleeding internally really bad and they were giving me more blood, giving me more blood. I guess I passed away on the operating table that day and they were just, they brought me back to life. They're giving me blood. They didn't know where the blood was going. So they took me back in to the operating room. They looked around, they, they couldn't figure anything out. They didn't know what was going on. So they brought me out. Now my stomach has just got like a big balloon. My stomach is huge. And I was complaining, well, I've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to go to the bathroom. My stomach hurts. And if anybody's ever been to the hospital and they have stomach problems, they always take you off your pain medications. I remember I was on morphine. I had 23 operations in 23 days. My leg was down to bone. They never covered it up. All that skin was, there was no skin. All that meat was left open every day. The pain was unbelievable. I remember they came at night to change my bandages and I would just beg them to give me some pain medication or something. And I, I just remember the horror of them every night having to take the bandage off and putting it on raw meat that I went through. It was just a horrible experience. But so the, the 23rd the 23rd day, I went back in for the third operation, and they brought another doctor in. And, you know, my stomach was still filled with blood. But right back, right before I went in for the third operation, like I said, my stomach was hurting real bad. And I felt like I had to go to the bathroom, and I couldn't go to the bathroom for a couple days or whatever. And then when I went to the bathroom, my brother was there, and he said, Jimmy, it looked like somebody took a five-gallon can of blood, and they poured it over your bed because you went to the bathroom and it instantly ran off the bed. It was all over the floor and a huge puddle. It looked like there were five pounds of blood. I had gained 18 pounds. They gave me 18 pounds of blood. So after I went to the bathroom, I lost 18 pounds. And that was all from blood that was inside of me that ran out. He said, I thought you were dead. He's like, I, I just didn't know. So by this time, I remember I was out of it, just the shock of all that happening. They took me in for a third operation, and they got a new doctor, and he started backtracking everything that they did in the previous operations. And then he found that, that little nick that they put inside my rectum where I was bleeding from inside the stomach. So he fixed that up, and I guess I died two more times on, on the operating table that day. Um, before he was finished, they brought me back to life. 
And then they put me in a coma for three weeks because they figured I had my intestines ripped out. I'd had 26 operations in 23 days. And they put me into a coma. And I remember waking up from the coma and you've got all these tubes and everything running down your your throat. And you can't talk and you're groggy. And, you know, you see these just the weird looking lights that were above your bed, not really sure what's happening. And one of my friends was sitting next to me, you know, he was just watching over me and I woke up and I remember asking him, you know, did I die or I, you know, I, I, I had to write it down and it was just, it was just a horrible, horrible experience. And I was in the hospital for another six months after that they were trying to grow skin back on and trying to graft all the skin back on me and all that. And the whole time I was in that hospital for almost seven months, they never got me up once to walk. So I had muscle atrophy. I could barely lift my arms to feed myself. And I never got out of bed. I laid there for seven months. And then I went into um, a nursing home to learn how to walk. And at the seventh month mark, when they released me from the hospital, they had released me with a bladder infection and four other infections inside my belly. And I remember the ambulance ride. Whenever they went over a bump, I was screaming because I was in so much pain that my insides were hurting. And the ambulance drivers are like, we can't believe they let you go from the hospital. Oh, my God. They took me to the nursing home, they took my temperature, it was like 104. So they turned around, they took me to the nearest hospital, this was another hospital, and they actually put me in quarantine. They they didn't want anybody around me. I remember the ambulance ride, I was in so much pain, I was just about screaming, and they would take you off their pain medication because when you went out of the hospital, they couldn't give you injections. So they gave you, I think, Vicodin or something to take by mouth, and it wasn't doing anything. And I remember I got to the second hospital, and I was just complaining about pain. So they gave me morphine. I complained even more, and they gave me like 12, 14, 24 milligrams before it even had an effect on me because it hurt so bad. So they... They put me in a private room. They locked the door. They wouldn't let me have any visitors. They just wanted me to rest. And that hospital took care of me, and everything was fine. The infections were gone. I felt a little bit better. And then they released me back to uh, the nursing home where they had, like, a big rehabilitation, you know, with weights and all these machines. And I remember doing that for five months. So... The day I went into the hospital, I didn't get back home until 13 months later. So I lost like a whole year of my life. It was just, it was horrible. And I, I came out of the hospital and now I'm on more diabetes medication. I'm on cholesterol medication. I'm on, I'm on eight medications plus my thyroid meds. And I came home and... You know, when I was so sick, I went down to about 200 pounds when I was in the hospital. But now I started gaining weight, gaining weight. And here I am. I'm at work. I'm at my heaviest, 328 pounds. And this is five years out of the hospital. And it's like I'm getting worse. My leg was really bad. I could barely climb the stairs. I couldn't climb a ladder. I thought my business was over. 
I'm divorced, I'm single, now I'm worried, can I make my house payment? And I've got to have all these other guys helping me. And I was just, I was in bad shape. And we were listening to YouTube that day. And out of some stroke of luck, divine intervention, I don't know what, I never listened to a doctor ever on YouTube. And my YouTube account decided to play a video by Dr. John McDougall. I can't even say his name without almost crying. Um, mm. That was January the 22nd, 2015. I'm sorry, November 22nd, right before Thanksgiving. And I heard that video. And I'm like, Jim, this could be your answer. And it was, I couldn't believe what he was saying. And it all hit home. And the other guys at work, they heard it. And I'm listening. And I threw my lunch out that day. I drove up to the grocery store and I grabbed some fruit. And I started 100% plant-based that day. And within two weeks, and in, in, in three days, I suffered diarrhea from the day I got out of the hospital for five years, every day, eight to 20 times a day. I, I didn't tell you everything. They had to remove some of my upper intestines. They removed a lot of my colon. And my stomach has never, ever been the same since them, all those operations in 2009. So in 2015, when I'm listening to these videotapes, I would have diarrhea eight to 20 times a day. I had to constantly be around the bathroom. It was horrible. My right leg, the one that they saved that they didn't have to amputate, but they did all the work on, that leg would swell up tremendously every day. I would have to wear pant sizes, four sizes bigger on my waist. So when my leg swelled up, there was enough room in my pant leg for my leg to be in there. I would have to lay on my back at lunchtime and keep my leg above my head to let the swelling go down. And I lived like this for five years after I got out of the hospital. And, you know, I was living like this when I heard that John McDougall video. Three days after I started this diet, the plant-based diet, my swelling went away in the leg. I never had any more swelling. I couldn't believe it. The fourth day I woke up, I never had diarrhea again. So three and four days of changing my diet got rid of the two things that were I was suffering from in my life for five years after getting out of the hospital was the swelling and the constant diarrhea. I couldn't believe they were gone. Um, and I just felt so much better. And, you know, that, that keeps you motivated when something like that happens. On the 10th day, I woke up and I tested my sugar. And my sugar was 92. And I'm like, wait a minute, this meter must be broken. There's something wrong with it. And, you know, I got a new test strip and I test it again. And it comes back like 95 or 96. I'm like, oh, my God, something happened to this machine. I actually ran up to the grocery store or to the drugstore and I bought another uh, diabetes machine and new test strips. And I tested and my insulin was good. 10 days after I started this diet, I didn't, I've never needed another shot of insulin since. I've been a diabetic for 35 years, and in 10 days, 
I did not need a shot of insulin that day. I remember an hour later after eating uh, breakfast, I had a big bowl of oatmeal with fruit in it. I tested my sugar. My sugar didn't even go over 100. I couldn't believe it. That whole day, I must have tested eight to 10 times a day, and my sugar never went up over 100. So I, I didn't require any shots of insulin. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And I was worried that there was still something wrong with me. And then on the 14th day, I woke up on the 14th day, and I remember I was very groggy, really tired. I was like stumbling when I got up, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I didn't feel right. So I, I tested my sugar the very first thing. My sugar was perfect, and I had me use insulin in four days. That was good, but I had a blood pressure monitor. And I was still on the blood pressure medications that they gave me. And even though John McDougal says, take yourself off your blood meds if you start this diet. And um, I didn't. I stayed on the blood pressure. Well, the 14th day, my blood pressure tanked. It was down at like 90 over 50 because I was taking those blood pressure meds. And now this diet has brought my blood pressure down so low. So that day... I actually stopped taking the blood pressure meds because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have an appointment with my doctor. I knew it was too low, and I did it even though without doctor's advice. But I decided to do it myself, and I was on six other medicines for the diarrhea. I didn't take those anymore, and for the swelling of the leg. And I wasn't taking the water pill anymore because I wasn't swelling up. So in two weeks. I was off of eight medications. My cholesterol came down also. So I actually quit taking the, the cholesterol medication. So the only thing I, I kept taking was my thyroid meds. And I, I went into the doctor. This was three months later. And I told him that I had started this diet. And, um, you know, my sugar levels were running perfect. And I haven't had any insulin now for two and a half months. I haven't been taking my blood pressure. And when he measured it at the, at his office, my blood pressure was like 109 over 65. And I hadn't taken blood pressure meds in two and a half months. And he just laid out on me. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to kill yourself. You have to have meat in your diet. You can't just take yourself off these meds after you've been taking them for 20 years. What are you doing? And he writes me a new prescription for insulin. I says, why do you want me to take insulin if my sugar's perfect at 90 when I wake up in the morning? Do you want to kill me with insulin? You know, I don't need it. The sliding scale says I don't need insulin. My blood pressure is better than yours probably this morning, and you want to put me on blood pressure meds. I haven't been on them for two and a half months. I said, you could write the prescription. I'm not taking it. You tested my cholesterol. It was 360 for 10 years before that on meds that he could never get it down. And now it was 134, and I wasn't taking any cholesterol meds. He insisted I was killing myself. I didn't know what I was doing. He says, Come over to my house. I've got fresh bear meat. I've got fresh venison and deer meat. And you need to have eaten your diet. You don't know what you're doing. You need to, you know, start eating meat. And here, I had lost, I don't know, maybe 45 pounds in three months. And I'm off all my meds. And all he could do is just yell at me for what I did and didn't see any accomplishment in anything. So, oh my gosh. Three months later, 
I went oh. back to his office and I just did it because I wanted a blood test. I felt great. I didn't need to go to the doctor. I wanted to get a blood test and see how I was doing. My number, everything was perfect. My cholesterol was down to like 108. I had lost more weight. I think by that time, I think I lost 80 or almost 90 pounds in six months. And he's still complaining. I wasn't on any meds, just the thyroid meds. I didn't take anything he wrote me for. And he told me the same thing. You're going to kill yourself. You don't know what you're doing. So to speed this up, I went back in in another three months. And now it was nine months. I lost 140 pounds in nine months. And all my numbers were perfect. And he's still yelling at me that I'm going to kill myself and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm off all my meds. All my blood work is fantastic. And, and he didn't have a good thing to say. After about a year, year and a half, I listened to him, you know, it just chew me out. Every time I went into the doctor's office to get my blood test, him telling me that I'm going to kill myself, I found myself a plant-based doctor in Detroit. His name is... Thank goodness, Jim. <laughs> yeah. I'm so relieved. And I found Dr. Brakey. He's, uh, he's got a bunch of YouTube videos, too, and I'm just so glad he took me as a patient. Now I'm treating all my little problems that I have, you know, with food, but I never really have any problems. And I've got, you know, still on my thyroid meds, but I'm on half the dose that I used to take. So it's just incredible in just a year, year and a half, what this had done for me. And I knew that I would never, ever, ever go back to the other way of eating because this was really the easiest diet I went I ever went on because I was never restricted on food anytime I was hungry I could eat and you could eat as much as you wanted until you were full so you would eat you know I I ate a lot of potatoes and I found a recipe for oatmeal cookies in, in McDougal's books, and that was like an energy bar for me. But, I, you know, you make it out of a whole apple instead of applesauce. There's no eggs or anything bad. It's an oatmeal, a few raisins, and some apples and apple juice. And, I mean, there's your oatmeal cookies, and they're delicious with some cinnamon. And my guys would eat them before I could eat all of them. They loved them. So I was living on oatmeal cookies, potatoes, and corn because I didn't like to cook that much. And I'm a single guy at home. And I just, you know, I figured out ways to eat. And when I had so much success in those first two weeks, I, there was no way that I, I never even cheated in the first year. I cheated, I think, two and a half years after I started this. And when I say I cheated, I had one potato chip. And I tasted it. It tasted so oily and salty. If I wasn't in public, I would have spit it out. But that was the extent of my cheating. I have never went back to the other food. I've never missed it. I feel fantastic. I started working 12 and 14 hours a day, and I get home, and I've got an elderly dog, like 10 years old, so I want to include him in my activities. So we walk four miles a day when I get home. I could work 14 or 16 hours a day. I come home, I eat, and we go for a walk every single day, rain or shine. And I mean, the amount of energy and the way my life has changed is just unbelievable. And there's no food on this earth that would taste better than the way health feels. There's no way that I would ever, ever, ever go back. It's just, 
it's amazing. I, you know, I had two guys working for me and one of them was looking for another job and he found the job in the field that he wanted like a year after I started healing and getting better. And then the other guy that was working for me, his wife got a job in another state as a air traffic controller. So he moved out. I was on my own. And I've been like that for four years. And I feel like Superman every day. I had arthritis, severe arthritis and carpal tunnel every day of my life. And I remember three months after going on the, um, the diet, all my arthritis, my carpal tunnel was gone. And I could work all day absolutely pain-free. And here I'm four and a half years in to being on a plant-based diet. I feel great. And I remember yesterday telling my customer, she came up to me and she says, Jim, I can't believe you're still here. You worked 14 hours today and you're still going. You're like, wow. And, and she's like, I've never seen you eat or anything. I eat once a day now. And she's like, I just, I can't believe it. And I said, Michelle, I feel so great. She says, you worked all day. You've never taken a break. I said, I feel great. My hands never hurt. My body never hurts. I feel fantastic. I could work all day. I feel like a 20-year-old kid again. I can't believe from where I was to what I am now. Every day, I still celebrate the plant-based diet. Oh, Jim. That's an incredible story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, from almost oh my gosh. where I am now. Yeah. Mm. That is intense. How is your leg now? Sorry to go all the way back there. But... Everything is perfect with my leg. It never swells up anymore. I would never even know that I have an operation, except I can't run because when I want to try or jog and bring my leg up, I can't bring it up as fast as the other one. And I have a tendency to feel like I'm going to fall. And I just don't want to fall because I can't bring it up. And, um, it gives me, it's not as strong as the other leg because all the muscle and everything was like cut out of it. And it's kind of hard to go up the stairs and use that leg for more than two or three steps. So then I've got to go up, you know, using my left leg up the remainder of the stairs. Or if I climb the ladder now, you know, I've got to use my left leg to take the step up the ladder. So I go up a little bit slower, but it doesn't bother me. You know, I'm so happy that they saved my leg. I walk around every day not knowing that I even had any of these limitations. All the things that I struggled with when life, like the weight issues are gone. Everything in my life has changed. I never have any pain. I sleep. I don't need to take a Motrin and aspirin. I work all day. I have gobs of energy. I, I just, I have no complaints. How do you find now, for instance, for me, this far down my own personal track, when I hear other people talk about their ailments and their health problems, and I know that it's all to do with the food, for me, I find that really hard. You know, a friend called today and she was talking about her, you know, her family member who's having bleeding on the brain and having kidney failure and having um, needing to take blood thinners for life. And that's problematic for his bleeding on the brain, you know, to stop the blood thinners, but that's going to have another problem to his heart or his kidneys or I don't, I don't know. And I was listening, just thinking, oh my gosh, like all this suffering and it's just the food that needs to change and this man would be perfectly healthy and fine 
And it's really, really tricky. That's probably the trickiest part for me of my journey now is knowing, but also knowing that a lot of people need to find their own way here. And, you know, after many, many times of me begging people to just try and they're being like, no, I don't want to know about it. And having to just realize now that I just have to zip my lips and just listen. That's the hardest part for me. Is that I, it's the same thing for me. It's funny because I, I'll go to a customer's house where I haven't seen them for three years. And so they remember me as being 328 pounds. And now I lost half my body weight. I lost 164 pounds. And that's what I weigh right now. I knock at their door. And even though I have the name of my company on my chest and my T-shirt, they look at me and they think I'm my nephew. They don't even recognize me. They're like, oh, my God, Jim, is that you? What happened? You look fantastic. And it's like I still get people that haven't seen me for four or five years, and they don't even know who I am. I just look so different. And, of course, everybody wants to know my story. So I give them the short version, and I tell them, hey, I went on a plant-based diet. And I'm off all my medications. I feel great. I'm no longer a diabetic. I no longer have heart issues. And I don't have high cholesterol or that anymore. And I remember one of the men asking me, his name was Jim also. And he's like, it's like, Jim, how did you get rid of your diabetes? And I told him, I said, hey, Jim, I said, you have diabetes because you choose to have diabetes. It's because of the food that you eat. And that's it, 100%. If you change your diet within 10 days, your diabetes will be gone. For sure in a year, you won't need any meds, you won't need anything. Because oil is what causes diabetes. The oil is coating the cell, and then your insulin can't get into the cell because it's like a key filled with wax, and the insulin can't get into your cell. And it's not sugar like you've been taught. It's oil. And after you stop eating oil on this plant-based diet, within 10 days, the oil was cleaned out of my body, and the insulin was able to get into my cells. I never needed another shot of insulin. And I said, you're just on a little bit of metformin. You could change. And he's like, you mean I can't have cream in my coffee? Or I can't have milk in my cereal? I said, Jim, would you rather have cream in your coffee or have your foot amputated? I mean, that's your choice. It's what you choose to eat and put in your mouth that's causing you diabetes. But if that cream is more important than your foot, that's your decision to make. And he still won't change. He's still taking his medication. And I see him now. It's two and three years later. And you could see it's taking its toll. He's, he's getting larger. He's tired all the time. And I can see the way he changes right after he eats when you're working in the house. He gets lazy. He almost falls asleep. And I can see everything that I went through. I can see what he's going through. But he doesn't want to listen. And they, and they don't care. And then my father, my ex-father-in-law, last year he came out of the hospital with congestive heart failure. And, you know, I went and seen him in the hospital and he had a heart operation. They put a stint in and stuff like this. And they're feeding him milkshakes and cheeseburgers in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are they doing? I'm looking at him in intensive care and he's got uh, a cheeseburger and a, and a chocolate and a shake. I, it's like this is just, just stupid. And he got home and I said, 
you know, I got a YouTube video of Dr. Esselstyn. I didn't want to tell him anything. I didn't want to preach to him. I said, Bush, please watch this video. I'm not interested. You think you're a big shot now. You lost all this weight and blah, blah, blah. And anybody could do it and all this. I said, no. I said, Butch, I've never got in your face and told you to change your diet or anything. All I want you to do is watch a video. That's it. The whole thing could change your life. And so you can understand what just happened to you at the hospital because they never told you. They, you know, they put a stint in and they came, you got put in intensive care and you don't even know what's causing your problem. And you get out of the hospital and they send you home and you're eating and you're doing everything the exact same way. And, you know, you're going to have a heart disease again in six months. You're going to have to run and probably get another stint. And you don't even want to know why you have it. I said, maybe if you listen to this video for a half an hour, it will tell you why. And then my ex-sister-in-law comes out of the other back room. Don't come over here and think you know everything. They would never watch the, diet, uh, the video. They didn't care. And, you know, I just I walked out of the house and I said, hey, it's up to you. So he's gained 100 pounds since he left the hospital. He's in a wheelchair. His life is absolutely miserable. And he doesn't care. And he's this big, great hunter and fish fisherman. They'll never listen to what they eat about food. And it's just, it's time and time again. I have another little short story. Um, I was working at a customer's house. And like every day, I've got a YouTube video running of Joe Furman or T. Colin Campbell or Esselstyn or somebody. And... Uh, the customers told me that they were leaving. They're going to go run some errands. So they were out of the house. And I had put my external speaker on because I usually wear headsets all day when I'm working. And I'm listening to a video from Dr. Michael Greger. And I didn't notice that the customer had came home. And Dr. Greger was telling me a story about uh, the chicken and how much disease and feces is even on the outside of a package when you go to the grocery store and pick it up, that you have chicken feces and disease all over your head, even if you touch the package. Uh. And then they said, the reason that your toilet in your house has less feces than your kitchen sink is because you wash your chicken in your kitchen sink and not your toilet. And then the customer came in the room and she's like, Jim, can you turn that off, please? Because we're having chicken for dinner. And I'm just uh -huh. <laughs> you just heard this and you're going to eat this chicken? <laughs> oh, so I, I politely yeah. turned the radio down. But, you know, even if the, even after they hear a story like that, they're still going to eat their chicken. And it means nothing to them. No, I know. It's really, really, I think it's it's such a difficult thing that's cognitive dissonance and that that what's the word, selective kind of, selective ignorance, will, willful ignorance yeah. when it comes to people's health because they, well, I, I, I think that as we've spoken about so many times on this show, this, this topic is so, what's the word, it's difficult because our society makes food, has made food the thing to live for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Not not your family, not your health, not your loved ones, not walking, not flowers, okay. <laughs> it's not yeah. fresh air, it's literally cake and meat. Yeah, and you run out and, you know, it really wasn't cake for me, but it was just the food that I always ate. Yeah. You know, just the ham and the cheese and the milk and all that other stuff. But, you know, it, you're so right. That's what made you comfortable by eating that. 
And when you tell people, you know, you can't have this, it's like they're taking something away from them. Yeah, you're taking away their way of life. The one thing, and most of us, you know, we've been taught, we've been schooled for 14 years and in schooling, even with my son's school, they have treats. You know, I, I worked I worked in a school on Friday and they're like, the, the teacher who, I was a substitute teacher, and the kids were like, oh, Mrs. Such and Such gives us lollies throughout the, the lesson. And I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, these kids get lollies in this class. I probably get lollies in two other yep. classes during the day. Yes, then they have their fun, fun, their fun runs finished with sausage sizzles and... A barbecue for the sports days end with class one carcinogens yes. in most of the schools here. And they reward them a bit. Exactly. And then they have their cupcake fundraisers, which are just egg and milk and white sugar and white flour. And this is 14 years of just steep indoctrination. Get a good mark. Here's some junk food. Get this. Have a sausage. Get this. And then, you know, even from toddlerhood, we, we reward with foods that are treats that are actually killing us and killing us and we just learn we're conditioned for so long and it's just so difficult because once they're adults you know it becomes such a thing to unwind you know with alcohol and drugs it's much less available and much less proved of. I think this addiction to sugar is why people are addicted to alcohol and, and drugs. It is. It's just a feeling they get. That dopamine it's surge. It's a feeling. It gives us a dopamine hit. Yeah. Yeah. It says it. Definitely. You know, you look at teenagers now. You look at teenagers now, and they live off pizza and chicken strips. That's the only thing they eat. Mm. And it's like, mm. like you said, it's and, and candy and sweets and junk. Yeah. 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 It's very, very heartbreaking, but I do think that – more and more, for, for one thing, more and more people are waking up to a plant-based diet. Like when I'm sure even in the last three years that you've been plant-based. Actually five, but yeah, almost five, yeah. Five, sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Even in that amount of time, for me, it's been, when I first started, I didn't know anyone. And then there's so many people now and there's so many foods now. Like obviously a lot of them are vegan junk food, yeah. but... There's still so much more awareness and so many more plant milks to choose from and so much more awareness. And that is filtering out to young people more, which is a hope because I think that if we can get more education into schools and school systems, and I know um, you're, I know he's not there, but Eric Adams, he's a Brooklyn Borough president. I know he was doing some great work about educating education in schools and plant-based food and getting it into hospitals. So there are a lot of people in the United States alone that are doing some incredible work. So that's positive and uplifting is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I didn't mention it, but um, after I started eating this way for a little over a year or whatever, you know, I couldn't go out to eat with my friends anymore and I always came home, but that wasn't a problem for me. And I would still go to parties and stuff. And they're like, Jim, we're not going to have anything greedy. I'm like, don't worry about it. I bring my own food. I make enough for everybody. No one else would touch it, but I don't care. You know, that never really bothered me. I would eat my own food and I would bring my own to parties if I went to a party and I would eat with anybody else. And I never really had a problem with that. And I wasn't going to change and I wasn't going to cheat. And I was never, ever tempted by any other food because I was full on the good food. But once you start eating this way, you feel so good you actually start tweaking your diet and it makes you feel even better. 
Like I started eating more raw and more greens and more stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you almost get a surge of energy from it and you feel so good. And then it's like, you know, I just had a salad, but now I'm not hungry for eight to 10 hours. I think you just get all those nutrients and all that good stuff in your food that's just bathing your cells that they don't get hungry again and you don't need to eat. So I started like everybody else, you experiment, and I was eating, you know, I wouldn't eat the last 12 hours during the day. And then I, I brought that down where, okay, I'm just going to eat in that eight-hour period, and then I'm going to go for 16 hours without it. And I did that for about a year, and I just was never hungry for breakfast anymore. And for the past year, I don't eat any. I eat once a day, and that's it. What time of day do you eat now, Jim? I eat simple, but I learned from Dr. McDougall. And it was like, I could come home and throw four potatoes in the microwave and had a couple of ears of corn and I'm good. And I could eat that for a week and I don't get tired of it. I just love the food. Or actually in the last six months, I've been eating two pounds of greens before I eat anything when I come home. And it takes you almost an hour to eat two pounds of greens. But I love it. They're just plain. Sometimes I'm steaming a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm always aware of the food that I eat. I want to make sure that I have colors and varieties. But some days I'm lazy and I'll make four potatoes and, you know, some corn on a cob and I'm good. The other days I have more greens and stuff like that on the weekend or whatever. But I'm still a simple eater. I really don't make a lot of recipes. I, I don't have desserts. I really never have those oatmeal cookies anymore. But, you know, I just I just have simple food as it's grown from the garden. Once in a while, I have quinoa. I try to have some beans or lentils every single day. I do eat my mushrooms every day also. And I want to make sure I have greens and, and stuff like that. So, you know, listening to Dr. Gregory, he's got his, his list of daily foods that you should eat. And I try to include them. But when you eat once a day, it's impossible to eat that much food. It really yeah. is. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I mean, I don't fluctuate in weight. I say the same weight all the time. I just feel so good. I'm never hungry. I'm never thirsty. And nothing like that. You know, after a year and a half, like I said, I wasn't going out to eat with my, uh, with my friends and stuff anymore. So I thought maybe there's a vegan potluck organization or something like that that I could find. So I went on the Internet and I looked for vegan potlucks, and I said, you know, I'm really not a vegan. That's going to be a problem. I'm not going to be able to eat the food because I'm real strict. I don't want oil, and I have salt and sugar, and I don't eat all that other stuff. I just want plain, simple, you know, food. And then I said, you know, I'm going to look for a plant-based organization. And I looked for a plant-based organization, and there's one five miles from me. It's called PBNSG. I think you, you yeah. interviewed the founder, Paul Chatlin. I did. Hi, Paul, if you're listening. He's a great guy. <laughs> yes, he is. And when I joined, this was back in 2016, maybe early 17, there were 1,700 members. Um, last week, there were 7,000 members. And this is a club in Detroit of plant-based people. And every one of them has a story like I have. You interviewed another person, Jeff Tritton. Uh, a while ago mm -hmm. that belonged to the club. And I know so many people with amazing stories that make my story 
looked like nothing. You know, just I, I, just incredible. And the way Paul cured his heart disease because he got, you know, he got a call from Dr. Esselstein when he went to the Cleveland Clinic and walked him through it. He never had the operation. And I'll let him tell the story. And he started this club. And it's just, it's fantastic to be able to meet with a group of these people, not every month, but they have, I think there's 40 of them now. They have 40 small group meetings. And what that is, is like, I could open my house and have a potluck here. You know, there could be six, eight, 10, 20 people that might come, but I'll do that like once a month on Wednesday, the third Wednesday of the month. So everybody comes over and they cook a healthy meal and you know you could trust the food that they make is going to be made exactly the way I would eat it because everybody eats this way and they respect it. And we share recipes and we talk about, you know, everything that's going on with us. And if you want to bring a new member that has never ate plant-based, they're welcome to come. We're non-judgmental. We'll tell them our story show them what happened. They get to taste our food and they see that it's good food and they can really enjoy it. They're not giving up much. So the meetings are fantastic. And I've just made so many friends and we'll get on the phone and we talk about nutrition for hours and how great we feel and how we want to tell our friends and wish they would do it because they could feel so good. And just the friendships and I don't need support anymore. Um, well, I didn't even notice. I'm, it's getting so dark in here that you can't see me. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, but that's okay. I yeah, it's, it's great be, being part of the organization. But the organization, you could get onto their website pbnsg.org, and there's chat. So even if you live out in the country or whatever, you could still get on and have your plant-based friends like on Facebook or on PBNSG or whatever. And our small groups have actually, they went into Windsor, Ontario now, and some are into Ohio, and a lot of people from Ohio are coming up to Michigan. We had Dr. Furman speak a couple months ago. I mean, Rip Elsa's been there, T. Colin Campbell. When I joined um, back in 2006, I went on the internet and I found out about this plant-based club and John McDougall spoke at, at there two weeks before I found out about it and I missed it. Oh, I thought you were going to say you saw it. No, I, I missed him. I was so disappointed. But I think if I would have I would have hugged the man, I probably still wouldn't have let go of him. Just to, I, I told him my story over the internet and I... Joe Kahn, I'm sure you heard of him, the heart he's yes. He's been on the show. He's part too. of PBNSG. He helped Paul Chatwin start it. So he's friends with McDougal. So he put me on the phone and we did a, a little Skype chat with Dr. McDougal. I talked to him for about a half an hour, telling him everything that he, and he's just such a humbling guy. What a what a fantastic just source of information mm. for free. What this man goes through to help people, it's just incredible. Just incredible. He is All these plant-based doctors. He's so incredible. So, Jim, before we let let you go, what would be, after all of this, you've given us such a, like for me, I feel so inspired and I just feel, 
I'm so grateful that you stumbled across that video when you were at work that day. And what a joy it is to see you. People watching, you can't see him, but, you know, he looks incredible. And you can look at the show notes to see some before and after of Jim. Like to hear how drastically your life has been turned around by a plant-based diet just is just such a incredibly wonderful thing to witness and to I'm just so happy for you. So, so happy for you. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on this show and sharing your story with everyone. But before you hang, we hang up, I would love to hear your three biggest tips for anyone listening who was like, all right, Jim's really inspired me. I think I'm going to give it a shot. What would be your three biggest tips? Three biggest tips. Start tasting the food and start eating this way and you'll find out you get to have great food every single day. And I didn't do a lot of exercise, but when I did, it helped me feel a little bit better. And there was a lot of times I didn't feel like going out there and walking. But, you know, I had to go back on the Tim Kaufman's way of thinking. And it's like, go out for your walk and do a little bit more than you did yesterday. You know, go another yeah. go another block further. And, you know, and even my old dog walks four miles without an issue, you know, and it's even unbelievable to see how he's changed just because we get out there every day and you really do feel good. And then you want to include that walk in all the time. And I guess and my third tip is don't listen to the naysayers that say that you can't do it and you can't do this and they just want to bring you down. And if you try to tell them. You know, what you're doing, they're going to tell you, you don't know what you're doing, and you got to have meat and that in your diet. Don't let them affect you. And I know a lot of people like that, they have battles in their family because they eat plant-based, but their husband or their wife doesn't, and, you know, they still do it. But don't let other people get you down and just continue on your path. And once you start for two weeks, you're going to feel fantastic, and I don't think you're going to want to go back. So I guess just start incorporate a little little exercise and don't let anybody else get you down. Yes. Yes. I agree completely. And it is something, and that for me, that is one of the tricky, and, you know, listening to you with your doctor, I'm so glad that you had the conviction to just keep going without taking on board his fear-mongering and scare tactics to eat that bear and deer and all those things. And But for me, it was the same when I was sick for the first four years after my diagnosis with multiple sclerosis, you know, my doctor would just keep saying, you know, eat whatever you want. There's no science to diet over and over every visit. Just eat whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Eat cheesecake, eat junk food, whatever you want. You're already sick. You may as well enjoy your life over and over and over and over again. And then when I lost the feeling in my legs, he just said, you know, you need to take this seriously and stop trying these diets and take this medication for the rest of your life or you'll get sicker and sicker until you die. And I just went, no, I'm never coming back to you. Wow. How long did you suffer with it? I had a first, well, I was very sick all in my 20s. Um, and then in 2008, when I was 28, I went numb from the waist down. And that was the day that he, but that, that, that was the last time and I woke up that day and I couldn't feel my legs and I said that's it I'm going whole food plant-based wow. and I um, never looked back and so since I made that choice and stopped seeing him every six months so he could destroy my confidence and make me feel like I my life was hopeless and there was no future for me once I stopped him 
going in my head and yes. making me depressed and miserable and changed my diet, obviously. Since that day, I've been symptom and relapse free. Mm. That's 2008 to now. So I think that's... Wow. Congratulations. And it's just unbelievable how your life changes, isn't it? It's unbelievable. And you just want to shout, shout it to the rooftops. So we'll just do the best we can to... Spread it to the people that want to hear it. You know, I, I didn't bring it up earlier, but since I'm a painter, last year I got diagnosed with um, exposure to benzene. So I've got like pre-leukemia or they call it pre-leukemia or MDS. And I guess I have been walking around with low platelet counts and my old doctor never said anything but the new plant-based doctor seen it. But, you know, I went in and you see a regular hematologist at a, at a doctor and he looks at you and they want to put me on chemotherapy. And I'm like, listen, I'm not doing it. And then I discussed with my doctor and I started looking into other sources that I see and I changed my diet and I've incorporated some of the food and I brought all my blood levels up like I don't even have the disease anymore. And I've done it just with food. And, you know, and now there's certain foods that I want to make sure that I eat every day. So, you know, just for me, though, I started growing broccoli sprouts and I had broccoli sprouts every day before I eat just to get the sulfurethane and those other things that are going to help me in my disease. And it's it's so much better than trying to take a medication. You could just eat some food and then look at all my blood levels and everything came up. And it's just incredible to incorporate some of that and see how your body responds. So. I'm so happy yeah. for you. So, and you know, it's just so impressive what you've done. And I referred you to Shannon Farrell. She's got a story almost like yours. I, on 27 medications in a wheelchair, you know, they gave her, I think, a year to live. And she's just doing fabulous now. It's incredible. You know, I really hope you get to interview her. I'm all booked in, Jim. I'm all booked in. Thank you for the recommendation. I can't wait to share Shannon's story with everyone. Now, I have to let you go, but thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Not a problem. Thank you. It was wonderful talking to you and meeting you, and I'm so glad to see you so healthy and happy. Thank you. And you too. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm not sure where you are in the world, but I am running a four-month new moon circle at the moment. That's kind of where my little contribution to humanity is going uh, currently. So if you are on, even if you are in other parts of the world and you would like to sit with women, I can only, I have to cap it at 10, otherwise we can't get enough time for the sharing. It is starting on the 24th of March. So if you're other parts of the world, that will probably be the 23rd of March. Um, all the information's in the show notes. You can join via Zoom, a Zoom app, which means that we can connect in real time via video call um, if you have Wi-Fi and we can sit together. There'll be people actually at my house, but if you want to make it but you can't and you need to connect with women, especially when we have the coronavirus going on at the moment. Um, it's a really heavy time globally, uh, a really fearful time globally, connecting with women and sitting with women in a safe container um, where you're all, where we're all accepted as we are, where we're all loved as we are, and we can express our fears, our joys, our whatever, anger, rage, sadness, grief. It's a safe space to do that. So I want to create more safe space in this world and more connection and community. 
any way that I can. And this is one way that I can. I undertook women's circle facilitation training several years ago when Iggy was small. And I'm very, very passionate about holding space and creating space for um, for women to be seen and heard and held and their voices to be heard. And I'm, ve- I'm very, very, very passionate about women's work. I'm also very passionate about men's work, but in this area, I can't do men's work because I'm not a man. But if you are a man, please go find men's circles and men's work if you need that support. There are many men's circles and movements around around the globe. Hopefully there's one in your area or you can f- possibly you can also find one in another place if there's online circles available as well. So check them out or Google them and see what, what comes up. But if you would like to join me in circle, this is a circle where I'm hoping will help uplift us and connect us and join us in sharing the everyday things that happen in life and recognizing in each other and identifying in each other our own that our own imperfections and flaws and worries and anxieties and sadnesses and insecurities that they're all a natural normal perfectly imperfect part of human existence and the more we can see the beauty in others and their vulnerability, the more we can extend that to ourselves and increase our self-worth and increase our self-awareness. And 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 this in turn spills out into chronic disease and chronic illness and food addictions and food-related issues that are, if, impact our lives, just to tie it back into this podcast. But the more we build our self-worth and our connections in our community and we see ourselves in each other and we cease to other other people and say that they are they do this X bad thing or this make this X poor decision and we wouldn't do this or we don't behave this way. We are better, more worthy, more worthy of love and being seen than another person. When we make mistakes of our own, the more we can tear down those walls and those barriers to connection, the more we can create peace and harmony in this planet. So the circles are are a way of doing that. Women used to always gather together and these circles are about recreating. Women used to always, it's a bit of a generalisation, but in many, many, many cultures around the world, women would gather together and share stories and connect and support and nurture each other. And this is a way of bringing that back because the more we share and connect and tell our stories, the more we grow and heal and uplift one another and act in ways, extend empathy and compassion to other humans and hopefully then to the animals and the planet. So thanks for listening, but please join me there if you want to join me or message me if you don't know how the link's not working or whatever because I'm not the techiest person ever and I was trying to create it on my website, like a link to purchase to join because it's $25 a month but $100 in full prior to joining and then we'll do it for four months on the new moon just so we can journey together for those four months and really deepen our relationship and our connection and share stories and if you're in person you get food if you're not in person you won't get food there's not it's just a little snack but maybe when you pay I'll I don't I never really thought about doing it online to write this 
moment really. So maybe I'll take off some like, I don't know, five bucks or something. <laughs> if, yeah, so it's just because you're not going to get the tea and the, the hug from me and the vegan treats. But yeah, um, let me know. But I, yeah, it's $25 a month and for four months, $100 upfront. It's a women's circle. It's about connection. And I'd love to have you there if you want to join me. But there's literally 10, well, like seven spaces available as of now. So, yeah, let me know if you want to join or click on the link in the show notes and you can just get organized there straight away. And I'll give you my all the details and organize your Zoom if you're online. And I'll organize the address, send the address to you if you're not online and you want to come to my house. That would be wonderful. All right. Love you. Have a great week. Thanks again, Jim. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier day